Hello, donkeys. It is, uh, let's see. God damn it, this microphone. <laughs> it is uh, Wednesday, June 20th, 2018, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. I hope you are doing well. Uh, I know I am. Big one today. Um, a big one today. A very important one today as well. You'll see in just a minute. So a lot to get to. I have an announcement I'm going to make here in just a minute. But on top of that, we have to do a live chat, right? We have to do a UFC Singapore talk. I'm sure there'll be some weigh-in talk. I'm sure there'll be some... You guys seen that PFL card on Thursday? Sneaky good. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Contender Series. Whatever really is on your mind. Best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be at MMAfighting.com where this window is uh, embedded. Um, comments that turn green get priority but not exclusivity. What else? What else am I missing? Uh, yeah. And then we'll go to Twitter at the last 15 minutes. So you can go to at uh, L Thomas News on Twitter. Give me a follow and shoot me a tweet. Use the hashtag chat rappers there. Um, that will be a good idea. So I had promised you guys um, an announcement and uh, I have one. I've got several actually. They're all one announcement, but there's a lot of different things moving on in, or moving, I should say, in the site. And uh, I don't really know how to say this except just to say it. So starting Monday, June 25th, oh, for crying out loud, starting Monday, June 25th, I will be the host of the new MMA Hour. I will be the host of the MMA Beat. Um, there we are. Uh, there is a lot to get to in terms of those details, a lot of which I will not get to today. But folks have been asking, what happened to the MMA Hour? What happened to the MMA Beat? Um, they are not going away. Um, there will be some changes you should expect, some continuity as well. But um, but yes, um, I will be doing those starting this Monday, this coming Monday. So there we are. Um, I'm beyond excited. I am beyond grateful. I am beyond thrilled. Uh, I'm beyond nervous. <laughs> And opportunities don't come around like this in sports media almost ever to say nothing of MMA media where they are, you know, one in a million, basically. Um, so what can you expect? Let's go to the MMA beat first. Much of what you have already been accustomed to, I would say the changes there will be uh, important but slight. You won't notice them too, too much. It'll be more or less what you have been accustomed to. And frankly, even with the MMA hour, it will be a lot of what you have enjoyed before. If you tuned in for big interviews, I intend to give you those. Um, but we're going to start at noon, like we do the MMA beat, and we'll go to about 2 o'clock. It'll be a two-hour program every Monday. Um, and you can expect a few interviews, but what you can also expect is you can expect um, discussion. You can expect the ability to call in. You can expect opinion. You can expect, uh, again, in-studio guests. You can expect the Monday morning analyst to roll into the MMA hour. It will be actually become a segment on the show. So that's not going away. It's just going to be something on the MMA hour. So um, a lot of you have been wondering what's going to be you know, the future of that podcast. Uh, that is not going away. It will now be a segment on the MMA hour. As for this chat, I don't know. What the, I, I, this might be the last one, actually. Uh I don't know if the site intends to keep it around. They might have someone else carry it forward, in which case they have my full um, and total support. They might kill it off here. Here's what I can tell you. This interaction between you and I will continue one way or the other on the MMA Hour, whether it's a call-in segment, whether it's a Q&A segment, 
whether it's a Twitter segment, something. I will I will still do something like this uh, on the MMA Hour starting on Monday. So um, it'll be a new set. It'll be some new atmospherics, some of what you loved before. But here's the truth, man. I can't do Ariel's show, both because I literally can't do it, uh, and B, because it wouldn't make sense. Like, he built something, and he's going to take that with him uh, to ESPN, and I wish him nothing but the best of luck. Um, but here at MMA Fighting, we have some work to do. we got to roll up our sleeves and get to it. So I intend to do the show that I know how to do. I've been in radio 10 years, uh, a little more than that, actually. Um, I'm going to bring, and I've, you know, I've got, done a little bit of stuff on television and some other things as well. I'm going to bring the show and, and the skills that I have to the, to the program, and, and we'll do something a little bit shorter, but I think um, entertaining, informative, newsworthy, and everything in between. So, so there we go. That is the news that I have to share with you. I don't know what will happen with this chat. It's like, I don't know if they'll keep the live chat around or not, but uh, this could very well be the last one. So enjoy it. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them, Johnny. And today I have black coffee with my Marine Corps mug because it's one of those days. I'm actually like really sick. Um, so, so yeah. Man, to say that I'm excited would be a grotesque understatement, man. Pumped, nervous, barely sleeping, but really excited. We're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, let me know. I'll answer what I can. And by the way, there's going to be some people along with me for the ride. I don't want to forget that either. So I'm not going to get into everything here. Um, some of that we'll just wait for Monday morning. But nevertheless, uh, here we are. Yeah, so enjoy. All right. Uh, with that being said, let us get to some of these questions. All right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, Yeah, and I expect some backlash too, by the way. There's just no way to avoid it, right? So, um, but we'll see. We'll work through it and we'll go from there. All right. All right, Missing Podcast. Hi, Luke. I've been a long-time listener. Absolutely love the content you put out. Thank you. But over the past month, the live chat hasn't always been uploaded to iTunes, so a bunch are missing. I know the episodes are on YouTube, but I find it easier to listen to the live chat as a podcast. It's also my favorite podcast. Well, I appreciate your support very much. So I've been gutted on the weeks when nothing has been uploaded. Not sure if you were aware of this issue. So I want to bring it to your attention. Uh, yeah, I'm aware of the issue. It's up to me. I'm the one who uploads them. And to be honest with you, we have been in discussions with this for a while. So my mind has been elsewhere. Uh, I'll be honest, I got a little lazy at the same time. And I kind of knew that this was ending and something else was beginning. And so we went from there. Uh, I just kind of let it go. Uh, I'll put this one up for sure. And I think I've got last week's ready to go as well. But um, that was the issue. The issue was we were talking about all these other things. And by the way, like if you're an MMA fighting viewer or listener, let me just say um, I appreciate your patience in dealing with all the site's changes. I know it's got to be uncertain and a pain in the ass for you and uh, I sincerely apologize that we couldn't get to things a little bit sooner, but it's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes, and it just took a while to get everything in the place that it needed to be, and even then, we're still moving at a breakneck speed, so um, 
so there you go. I, I, I'm really sorry about all that, but hopefully we're going to start getting back to a degree of normalcy and, and then we can go from there. But thank you very much. Um, but yes, I will get this up today. I apologize for all that too. It's just been a lot going on behind the scenes. And by the way, for folks who are wondering, I'm also not leaving Sirius XM. I'll be doing Sirius XM, the Luke Thomas show five days a week, and then I'll be doing MMA hour and MMA beat. So a bit of a heavy workload, but, um, all that staying in place. So just want to give that uh, a heads up, but I apologize to everyone for not getting these podcasts up. I apologize for we couldn't get some of this stuff up sooner, but thank you to everybody who has been working with us all this time to, to, to move things forward. You guys are the best. I really appreciate it. Uh, okay. Let me jump to one. Then we'll come back to another one. Uh, ESPN and Dana inevitable showdown. Is it fair to say that we're headed to an inevitable showdown after Dana and ESPN Disney? Obviously, Dana wants the mainstream access of ESPN, but he also can't help himself from calling fans effing idiots and seriously misrepresenting the truth. He says, I'm not just talking about typical promoter speak, but statements like Greg Hardy was never charged with anything. If you had to guess, how do you think this plays out? Does Dana eventually get pushed out as the UFC enters this new era? I don't think so. This has been something that's been ongoing for, I mean, it's not new. This is something that's been ongoing for a long time. Um, I, I mean, we'll see because it depends on like if other you are, are other ESPN shows going to be given editorial latitude to talk about those kinds of things. I guess we'll have to see. I, I don't know that that's a given. Uh, if they are, could that force change internally? Maybe. On the other hand, because they're a partner with ESPN, are they going to have the ability to say what they want to say? I guess we'll have to see. On top of that, you have to just remember. It, it, there's a there's a real possibility that people out there in sports media they're like they want the UFC's audience and they want the UFC's content and they want the UFC's you know uh, inventory and everything they out everything the UFC has to bring and they don't want the UFC's baggage and you could say well how can you have one without the other well it's been happening for a long time I'm I'm not sure there have been moments of these you know pushback there's been moments of where things blow up and the ufc has to do something about it but they've moved away from that code of conduct for a reason they've moved away from a lot of things for a reason and i'm not sure that the rest of the mainstream media cares it was funny i was leaving my radio show and i was listening to my local radio show in my car it was a cbs radio affiliate and they'll do these things on commercials where like boomer esiason or john feinstein or tiki barber will speak up and tiki barber it's, it's like a 30-second spot in between commercials. It's like, for CBS Radio, I'm Tiki Barber. And Tiki Barber, I think, does a radio show in New York or something like that. In any case, um, Tiki Barber was speaking, and he said something kind of interesting. He said, um, you know, I don't know what Dana White's talking about. He goes, he, he, he did get a second chance. His second chance was his time on the Cowboys and he was charged ultimately the everything was expunged but um he was charged and and th th this did move forward like and if you want to sign the guy you want to sign the guy well okay I mean it's a free country but you got to state the things accurately so Tiki went after him a little bit but how impactful is some kind of 30 30 sec 30 second like in between commercial radio segment that plays on affiliates for CBS radio I don't, I don't really know the answer to that uh, my guess is not very much so my hunch is that people just don't take MMA enough seriously to worry about its baggage unless it's really bad. And Dana calling reporters morons or fans idiots or whatever, if that would have mattered, my hunch is that would have mattered by now. 
with individual moments being an exception here or there. Really, that's the end of it, I think. I mean, I guess we'll have to see, but that's my, that's my hunch. My hunch is if you've been waiting for like the other shoe to drop on Dana, um, that ship kind of sailed. Uh, I have this uncomfortable feeling that ESPN is going to try and make the UFC PC. He, this person writes a different person below this. We can't hold MMA to the same standards as other major league, uh, as other sports leagues. Prize fighting is a different animal. I'm already getting a headache thinking about Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman talking about things like first topic is Colby Covington racist. Dana saying Cyborg looks like Vandalay Silva in a dress. Tyron complaining that he's the worst treated champion in the history of the UFC because he's African American. Well, let's see. First topic, first take topic. They might do it, but I don't know if they're gonna. Are they gonna include Colby Covington in their A block in the middle of NFL season? Probably not. If they get to it, it'll have to be at the end of it. Also, remember, like, are they gonna talk about things that their audience doesn't know about? Their audience doesn't know about Colby Covington, at least not yet. So until they do, are they really gonna like include that? I mean, when you could talk about Kawhi Leonard and you could talk about Tom Brady and you could talk about Odell Beckham Jr. and you could talk about the caps, why would you talk about Colby Covington, right? You're talking about a general sports audience. You would be losing an audience by doing that. Dana saying Cyborg looks like Vandalay Silva in a dress. That came from a scrum. He doesn't do those much anymore. And then Tyron complaining he's the worst street champion in the history of the UFC. He would do that. I, I mean, if he feels that way, number one, he's entitled to say it. And number two, again, it would, it would be just to be a function of to what extent they want to make that a part of their news cycle. As this person writes, Walt Disney ESPN is almost toxically PC at times. It's a little overstated. And I'm thinking there are going to be some tense moments in their marriage to the UFC over the next five years. I don't love everything about MMA culture, but I do love that it offers room for the fringe and different personalities. I'd largely agree with that. Dana has his moments of being a blowhard, but overall, he's a net positive on the sport. And I hope whoever takes over his position when he retires has some of the same personality characteristics. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I also think, again, it's not like Dana, Dana has like majorly calmed down. Um, it's not new. And so if people cared about it before, something would have happened. Nothing happened. Not much anyway. The only thing that really mattered was, was really that lawsuit from the fighters because they included statements about the UFC's, from him, competitiveness or the way in which they operate as a business and then they use that uh against him so that's why he's dialed back a lot of the scrums that's why he's dialed back a lot of uh, he does the post-fight presser stuff but still there's a while where he wasn't even doing that you know so there's a lot there's a lot uh top of the division welterweight division luke in the last few weeks all three of the young up-and-comers in the welterweight division usman till and covington got wins over three recent former champs and championship contenders okay uh, whose victory was the most impressive and why? Got to be Covington, right? <laughs> I mean, Till, Till's win over Wonderboy was fine but controversial to an extent and disputed, I think, is a fair way to put it. I mean, if you, again, not, not saying you couldn't score it for him, but you could also score it for Wonderboy. A lot of people did, and so therefore it's contested. And because it's contested uh, in, the, in a particularly strong way, that would probably put it at the bottom. Well, I don't know if it would have been at the bottom of the list, but certainly wouldn't put it at the top. Usman and Maya was dominant, but you had Maya coming in on short notice. And he's a lot older than he used to be. And uh, Usman had the skill set that a lot of other guys have uh, in terms of the general properties of it. 
to be able to excel. Like you knew the blueprint had been there already and he used it. He used it quite effectively, but um, you were expecting a little bit more. I mean, I know he had the hand issue. I'm just saying we're talking about like impressiveness. And then lastly, you had Covington. Covington, again, there was some dispute about that win as well. Let's be clear about that. But I also feel like he was got he got a prime, ready-to-go RDA. He just took the game from him a little bit um, in his face. And again, there were some tense moments there as well. I've I made a point before. If you want to score for RDA, I wouldn't necessarily object to that. But I'm just saying, um, if we're asking who's the best one of those, I think Covington's probably got the strongest case. Covington and Usman both got clean decisions, whereas Till was a contentious one, but arguably he had a more difficult fighter to solve. RDA is pretty hard to solve, um, but I, I, know, I know what you mean. Certainly, Wonder Boy is very unique, right? Which fighter do you think could give Woodley the most problems between Usman, Till, and Covington? <coughs> Man. Um, Till's wrestling is still a big unknown so part of me wonders if it's him, but we don't have enough information to say yes or no. And Usman and Covington, maybe Covington, maybe. That one's a hard one to say. And I, I would still favor Woodley over probably all of them. Uh, but Till, we don't know. Covington claims to have done really well, but I guess we're going to see. And Usman has a very you know in-your-face grinding skill set, but it's not like Woodley doesn't know how to wrestle and can do other things. He's a heavy hitter. So... It becomes a little bit of a, um, you know, six one way, half a dozen the next. But but I would probably lean Covington personally, but, you know, maybe by a, uh, like a little, a little. And I apologize for being sick. Do Usman and Till face off for the number one contender? I wouldn't mind seeing that at all. I've been saying for a while because, you know, Usman has this issue of, I know he's had some injuries, but he also has this issue of, He's supremely talented, supremely dialed in, totally experienced guy. But maybe there's just a little bit more he could do in terms of stepping on the gas. And with Till, that's been less of an issue, although in the last fight, you know, he's, Wonder Boy's hard, hard to fight in that way. But um, there's just an, there's an issue left of what kind of, uh, we don't, how good really is his takedown defense over time. Uh, when a guy is constantly on you like that, what can you really show? Can you stop it? Can you create separation? And the answer is we don't really know. Uh, it could be very good. Could be could be lacking i guess we'll have to see um but i think it'd be a great test for each other i, I i'd be all in favor of it or would you like to see them mix it up by giving each other a ponzinibbio masvidal or nelson i mean hard to go wrong with any of those masvidal and uh, ponzinibbio i asked masvidal about this yesterday they're nine and ten but they're teammates so i don't think it's the thing that they want to do but masvidal was like look if it was a headlining fight and it was in argentina i'd be all in favor of it i could understand that um I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that at all. Putting Pons and Masvidal together. Nelson, I think, a little bit of a different scenario. Ooh. All right. Let's see. And then here we go. Uh, back to the MMA hour on the beat. Luke, you're going to be able to provide an update when we'll hear more about the future of those programs. I'll reiterate this one more time at 2.15 when we go to the uh, Twitter machine. But, but yes, there is an update. All right. Okay, UFC 225, 250,000 pay-per-views. True or false? I'll say true. You know, what's interesting is Lance Pugmire's reporting has usually been really good. And um, what would you call it now? With this one and then the Zabit versus 
Yair one, but this was prior to the fallout when it was not really when, when Yair tweeted fake news. It's been contested. Um, I don't know what that's about because he's historically been very, very reliable. Uh, I, I have a great admiration for Lance Pugmar. I'm not, I don't really know what that's all about, but uh, from my experience, going against Dave Meltzer's estimates is probably not the best thing to do. Not, not, no one's perfect, of course, but he's pretty good. Uh, number one, UFC 225 did poorly considering the quality of the card. Um, it did great at the gate. Did not do all that well on television. Did not do all that well on pay-per-view. But no one on there was a really big star except for CM Punk. And ostensibly, he was on that card to give it a boost. It's not really clear how much of a boost he really gave it. So in the end, I would actually say no. UFC is in a bear market for pay-per-views. Yeah, totally. I mean, just think about it. Asking someone to pay 65 bucks a month for the last 13 years or something. Well, not quite that long. But let's say, how about this, the last 10 I mean, you know, you could buy a, a used car already by now. Like, you're just going to you're going to make people start picking and choosing, and then once you do that, there's really no going back. We can argue, as Dana says, that Overeem can sell as many UFC pay-per-views as CM Punk. Not the first time out, but maybe the second. And even then, probably not as much, but the difference was either negligible or not worthy of the kind of stunt that was pulled. I think you can say that number four colby covington may draw everyone's ire but not their money not yet i keep i saw when these numbers came out that everyone was like oh here we go i mean <laughs> people will go out of their way to discredit colby like is colby a draw yet no is colby even really a hardcore draw yet no that is not the argument Barbus is here. What's up, dog? The argument is not whether or not he has penetrated into the mainstream. The argument is not whether he is somebody special already. The argument is he ascending a ladder through controversial tactics. Yes, of course. This can backfire. It can still go the other way. It can still, this he could plateau. Like, I, I, he has a long way to go before he's some kind of draw. But is he ascending a ladder and, and like a pretty rapidly? Yeah, of course he is. Of course. Um, uh, actually, I thought Tyron Woodley made a really good point about this. Tyron Woodley's argument was like in the absence of stars, are we really willing to pay attention to, in his mind, somebody disreputable? Well, let's, let's zoom out of that for just a second. Why is that a good argument? Well, th think about it. People say the UFC has no stars, but that's not quite true. They don't have many of them. But all the ones they have are either gone or inactive. So Lesnar's off doing what he's doing. John, obviously, Jones has some issues he has to resolve. Uh, Ronda Rousey left for WWE. Conor McGregor's inactive for a record amount of time, at least insofar as MMA is concerned. And then you have Nate Diaz, who appears to be ready to come back, but hasn't signed on the dotted line for everybody. All right, so there's that. So imagine if you just had three of them competing once a year. I think a lot of these concerns would be assuaged and would go away. And imagine you had them once a quarter. In 2016, you had either Ronda or Connor fighting once a quarter. And, of course, you had just this gangbusters, incredible year. Part of me feels like, um, you know, when they're around, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, Connor McGregor's not even really around, and we're still talking about him. I realize he had the court appearance last week, but I'm talking about as an active competitor, and, you know, doing media and doing the rounds and everything else. 
he's barely ever there. And so every he's still he's still got everyone's attention. My point is this: the media, like MMA fighting and MMA junkie and bloody elbow and all these sites, they have to update constantly. I have to do 15 hours of radio a week. You got to fill it with something, and you got a guy out there being very controversial. It's actually kind of smart that in this moment, there's a lot more bandwidth to give somebody who wants to bang the pots and pans than there normally would be because all the stars are kind of on the shelf at the moment. Now, when they come back, it's going to be actually a lot harder to make that kind of noise. Still possible, of course, but a little more difficult. And if the stars were kind of active, it would be very difficult. Rhonda and Connor and John Jones and all these people would be taking up all of our time. And uh, you just don't have that opportunity now. So, uh, so yeah, like... You know, has he penetrated the mainstream? No. But is he clearly using this moment in time where there's a bit of an uh, extra oxygen to go around to make a name for himself? Yes. How far it can go is up to him. We'll see. But, you know, look at look at the reactions he's drawing from media. Look at the reactions he's drawing from Tyron Woodley. Look at the reactions he's drawing from other contemporaries. You know, this idea that it's nothing. Uh, well, it's not everything, but it's pretty clearly something. Uh, Kobe versus Woodley will do below 250K. I'll say false because that could do better and we'll have to see when they put it and where they put it and 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 how they are, how they promote it. We'll have to see. Plus, I think if Kobe ends up getting his way to the White House, that could be kind of big. So we'll have to see about that too. Uh, six, WMEIMG, or as it's known, Endeavor, will make up for this number by making Mayweather versus Puck. Um, I don't think so. I think that I, I am beginning to wonder if that ship has sailed a little bit. Not sailed, but is sailing out of the harbor. People had this real big appetite for craziness and unusual things. And that will always, always, always be a part of MMA. That will always be a part of, um, of um, combat sports. It's a part of our history. It's a part of our future. But... I wonder if it's cyclical and I wonder if it's also a part of the fact that we just don't have a ton of stars. So people are looking for all these other things, you know, my phone is blowing up as you can well imagine. Oh man. All right. And there's a big discussion here about WMEIMG. <coughs> MMA viewed differently, this person writes. Code of conduct for ESPN move? Why is it in our sport of MMA we have people like Perry saying the N-word, Bisping saying the F-word, Rousey talking about school shooting conspiracies, list goes on. I'm sure as a consumer of the sport, you've grown to hear the sort of things that wouldn't fly in the real world. Professional athletes, actors, people in the media would get crucified if they said the things that our beloved figures in MMA have said. Do you think if the UFC were, were to move on to ESPN under some new light, that will be the death of MMA? Well, I don't know how much light there's going to be. Plus, a lot of, I mean, remember, two-thirds of the inventory is going behind a paywall, right? Ariel and uh, Chael have their new show today, and I'm sure it'll be great, and I'm sure it'll get a lot of viewers, but it'll also be part of that project behind a paywall. Um, it's not about how much attention it can get. It's about how much mainstream um, busybody curiosity will there be for something like that. And of course, I think Ariel and Shell show in particular will be, you know, uh, fine. But, you know, the thing you're talking about and Perry and, and Rousey and Bisping, all that stuff, you know, 
I don't, I, you put the majority of the content behind a paywall, people will still watch it. But what kind of what kind of inspection of the product will there be? I, I don't know. Do you think if the UFC were to move on to blah, 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 will the UFC have to enforce a code of conduct like they did in the past to prevent from self-destructing? Part of me thinks they don't do that code of conduct because it begins to blur the line between employee and independent contractor. And that may be why they moved away from it. It also be that they moved away from it because they realize that there's no one there really to enforce it. Um, there's a lot of things there. So my guess is probably not. They may enforce it on individual circumstances. They may enforce it behind the scenes. Like give somebody a call and be like, uh, please don't you know, say something controversial about trans athletes or something. I'm just, I'm making something up. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but, uh, but I don't think they're going to have the code of con. I mean, they clearly have no, they had a code of conduct. They moved away from it. They have no indication they're going to go back to it. Even with the ESPN, I think we're all talking about like ESPN is going to be some game changer for the UFC. And in many ways it might be, it's a high quality network with high quality programming. And it's the worldwide leader in sports, right? So that's all really great. But I think this idea that people all of a sudden view MMA differently, I, 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 I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time believing that. I mean, again, individual circumstances, yes. As a rule, I don't, I don't think so, guys. Well, nobody seems to care when we have guys do the things that they do. So what are we supposed to do about that, you know? Combat does combat sports get a pass in egregious circumstances? No. Uh, all right, Singapore. Holly, what do you think of the UFC Singapore card this weekend? Not the best card I've ever seen. Let me pull it up. I'll tell you what card I'm most looking forward to is the PFL card, if you can believe it. By the way, have you guys noticed that uh, Google? So Google UFC Singapore, and on your left hand margin, on the right hand margin, you'll find the Wikipedia entry. And on the left-hand margin, what you will find is a setup where it's got a, a red tab on top where it's got all the events listed, either past or uh, present or future. It's got then below that two tabs for main card and preliminary card. And you can scroll down. It's like a little box. And that box goes on top of top stories and then search results. Um, and it's above the fold, too. So what's the fold? The fold is when you go to a page. And it's the entirety of what you see. And then once you scroll, that would be below the fold, right? This is sort of a layman's way of explaining it. Anyway, so I'm looking here, UFC Singapore, on this Google box that's been created on the left-hand side. That's new. I've, I've seen that the last couple of events. I don't know whose decision it was. I don't know if the UFC lobbied for it. I don't know, I don't know how they came to doing that, but I guess I like it. So main event, Cerrone, Leon Edwards, love it. Ovin St. Preux versus Tyson Pedro, love it. Jessica Rose Clark versus Jessica I. It's fine. And then you get Li Zhang Lang versus Daichi Abe. Uh, I don't have much of an interest in that, to be honest. Um, pre prelim card. Duruto Ishihara versus Peter Yan. Fine. Felipe Aranches versus Song Yadong. Kind of interested in that one. Rolando Dai versus uh, Shane Young. Whatever. Keenan Song versus Hector Aldana. Kind of interested in that one. Uh, Shinsho Anzai, Anzai versus Jake Matthews. Always interested in seeing Jake Matthews. Vivian Pereira versus, forgive me, I don't know how to pronounce this, Yan Xiannang. I don't know. Sure. Uh, Matt Schnell, Danger. I'd like to see Matt get some wins in the UFC, if at all possible, versus Naoki Inoue. Uh, Janelle Lausa taking on Oki Sasaka. Always interested in seeing Oki Sasaka, or excuse me, Oka Sasaki. And then Ji Yong Kim versus Melinda Fabian. Ji Yong Kim seems pretty talented. So how would I rate it? Look, it's a fight pass card on at uh, 4.30 in the morning on a Saturday. I don't rate it that highly, but I don't really need to, right? So 
Um, it's fine, you know. Someone says, this card makes me think I can't wait for July 7th. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. That card is stacked top to bottom. Uh, how much do you know about Peter Yan? I confess to you, not much. He seems very athletic and highly rated. I haven't seen him much myself, but I've read some positive reviews. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly apologize. I do not know much about Peter Yan, so I will not pretend that I do. But I'll be watching, of course, on Saturday and looking to see what we can figure out about him. Good question. Is the current pay-per-view business model unsustainable for the UFC? Pay-per-view buys are way down, and in my estimation, estimation, excuse me, it's not just about having McGregor, Rousey, Lesnar, Jones, etc. Consumer habits and expectations are changing, and $65 12 times a year just isn't realistic. When will people start addressing the elephant in the room about why the pay-per-view numbers are down? People are watching, but they are not paying for the product. Many more people than ever seem to be pirating the pay-per-view streams. On the one hand, I think that's true. On the other hand, they've been blaming low or controversial or contested numbers on piracy since day one. So it's like, I believe it. I'm sure that's true. But on the, on the, on the, on the, at the same time, we've heard this argument a gazillion times. Um, I'm personally happily, excuse me, I personally happily bought the UFC 225 pay-per-view because it was so stacked, but I just can't shell out $65 for the shallow card. So I end up skipping the main card, but I watch the prelim still. And I consider myself a diehard MMA fan. That's interesting. It used to be that if you were a diehard MMA fan, you, like there was no choice. You had to buy the pay-per-views. It speaks to a growing change in the definition of what it means to be a diehard. And I believe you. I, I think you're right. Like I, You probably are as diehard as anybody else. Um, I believe the correct business model should be putting all the pay-per-view caliber cards on a monthly streaming service the UFC needs to get with the times. They should aim for accumulating volume of audience willing to pay for the monthly service at lower cost rather than fans picking their spots on when they want to pay $65 for the card. Consumers seem to be much more willing to pay for a monthly streaming service uh, where they get everything. They are using Fight Pass the wrong way, just my two cents. I mean, a couple of things with this. Remember, part of the pay-per-view schedule is a function of the television deal. Right, so it's the 20 shows on ESPN Plus. So forget all that. That's that, that's fine, right? Then it's the 10 shows that are like exclusive to ESPN or ESPN2. Okay, so forget all that. But then part of that deal is that UFC has promised 12 pay-per-views. Not that they're going to put them on ESPN, but they are going to put that two-hour block from 8 to 10, it appears anyway, on pay-per-view. Excuse me, on, um, on ESPN. They're going to give them that 8 to 10 o'clock slot that they currently goes on FS1 or the like. So you have guaranteed them inventory. You have guaranteed them 20 on ESPN+. Plus. You have guaranteed them 10 exclusive to their uh, linear TV platform in one version or another. And you have guaranteed them as part of your pay-per-view schedule 12 prelim shows. You are going to allow them to broadcast two hours of your prelims, which they'll be able to market and then sell ads against. ESPN, like that was part of the deal, the television deal. So it's not even just about what's the best for pay-per-view. Now the pay-per-view equation is part of the television equation in terms of getting the right deal. Now, how essential was that to getting the deal? I don't really know. Um, I wasn't part of the negotiations. But remember, that's that's this core component at this point. Um, so that that complicates things a lot. You, 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 I was like, well, how do we get them? How do we get the television deal we want? I know. We'll promise a certain number of pay-per-views at which we'll give them a portion of the prelims to sell ads against. You know, that creates some challenges for you. 
um, going forward. I would say um, I agree that the that the the best model would be one I think what the WWE does. I don't know much about their service, but I know it's like worldwide and you can pay for it on TV so you don't have to have the network. But if you have the network, it's part of the monthly service fee. Like to me, that's as as more and more like the subscription model can work for the right kinds of services, for the right kinds of companies or businesses. But as people realize that there's more and more subscription service growing, we're realizing that advertising is really the selling of attention span and the attention of uh, the, the space of real estate. And you know, how much do we want to really get into that? Um, people are realizing we can move around that. That's why ESPN is launching ESPN plus. That's why you see people launching Patreon accounts. That's why you see people, I mean, you name it, they're doing it these days. Right. And, and, and journalism is slowly creeping back behind a paywall um, or, you know, some kind of permeable one anyway. So I, I agree with your general sentiment, but they, the, this is a this is a function of the TV deal now, and so that changed everything. Someone says below that, couple that with escalating costs for non pay per view fights. With the product, excuse me, when the product was on spike, I got that with the lowest tier of my TV package. To get FS1, pardon me, I had to pay an extra twenty five dollars a month, which I did. Now it's going to be four ninety nine a month. For another subscription model. I remember when the pay-per-view was $49.99. Then they bumped the HD feed for the Weidman Silva fight. UFC 168 to $59.99. Dana promised, he puts light as usual, that it was a one-time deal. Then it became the new price and now it's up to $65 and the card quality is not the same. Also, don't be surprised by an Uber-style surge pricing to about $70, $75. I would say even more than that maybe for the return of McGregor. And people will buy it. People will buy it. I won't be in the least surprised to see that. Yeah. Yeah. They've escalated price for sure. And the tiers have been changing. And for me, I don't know what you guys need. I, I again, I, I'll set it before I have sling and I can get Viacom products on that. And then I have YouTube TV. And with that, I get FS1, FS2, FXX, FX, um, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN, whatever I get. So, and so 35 for, I got 35 for, um, YouTube TV. And I think another 25 for, sling something like that so between the two i'm paying 60 bucks and before i was paying like 250 i mean something something absurd um so it's i get everything i need uh ufc singapore song yadong was listed as 19 years old in 2013 18 in 2015 20 in 2016 the ufc has him listed as 18 in 2017 he's now back to being listed as 20 years old for his upcoming fight. Do you know how old Song Yadong is? I don't. You know what? I'll ask around, see what we can figure out. That's a funny question. I do not. I do not know. Uh, more MMA fighters starting podcast equals less work for media. Uh, shout out to Derek Lewis starting his own podcast. Yes, of course. Uh, with more MMA fighters having podcasts and breaking their own stories, like, for example, Bisping stating he was officially retired, does it make your job harder because it's one less story you could have broken. Some fighters have had a bad relationship with the media, so they would want to release their story on their own narrative slash get out in front of the story, because oftentimes they might feel like they were misquoted or misrepresented in an article, which is rare on the defense of the media side. What is your opinion of fighters going out of their way and putting out their own stories as opposed to putting media, 
excuse me, instead of the media pulling it from fighters. Um, I would still say there's probably going to be a little bit of a limit on that, right? Starting a blog or starting a podcast, you have to treat it like having a pet um, for it to grow and develop and to be healthy. You know, you have to attend to it constantly, uh, whether that's through, um, you know, frequency of broadcasting, broadcasting equipment, um, finding the space to do it. Like, do you just constantly have to be on it, right? And then I don't, if it's not your, if that's not your primary occupation, that can probably get a little bit hard to do, number one. Number two, um, I've never really gone the breaking news route, so it doesn't really affect me all that much. I like it when fighters come on my show and break news. I'm happy to have them come on the MMA Hour or my Luke Thomas radio show, have them break news. It would be great. Trust me, I'm going to try and do that. But I think just relying upon them uh, for that, for me, it's not something I – some people can do it. Uh, Ariel is pretty good at it. But I I don't want to do that necessarily. It's not – it's never been a skill set of mine, and it's not something I, I – I'd like to have independence, right? So the idea is that if you build a, around um, your identity, if you build around having your opinion, if you build around that, no one can take that from you. They can take everything else from you, but they can't. They can't take that. Uh, what the hell? Um, so you get the idea. Um, and I thought also this was kind of inevitable. It's kind of inevitable, right? As it becomes easier to find a microphone and to use a computer and to use, um, you know, blog talk radio or YouTube or Twitch or something, as these technologies become democratized, it was inevitable that fighters would do this. Fighters have big personalities. They have a lot of things to say. And so to me, it's like inevitable that many of them would try this. Um, Ally Quinta has one. Derek Lewis has one. As I mentioned, Michael Bisping has one. Um, shout outs to Jessica Penny and Angela Hill. They've got two straws. This stuff is an, it's going to happen, but if you can just build around a skill set where you're not reliant upon them, I mean, include them when you can, um, it's great. Of course, it makes everything better, but to me, I like to, personally speaking, I like to build beyond that um, and and see what I can do, and we'll go from there. So good for Derek Lewis, man. Hope it's a big success. Stipe DC, Luke, can we hear some of your early thoughts on this? To me, it seems as if Stipe wins... He'll further cement his place as the best heavyweight ever. If DC wins, he'll become the second ever simultaneous two-weight champ and the first to have ever defeated one of those belts. Plus, he's beaten the best champ ever in the weight class above. Basically, wouldn't a win here for either man put them top five all time? And then someone asks, Luke, second best, simultaneous champ at light heavyweight and heavyweight is way more impressive than featherweight and lightweight. Wouldn't you agree, Luke? I would not. I would not agree. Um, it's more impressive to me that you got uh, um, featherweight and light heavyweight. Excuse me, featherweight and lightweight are more stacked than heavyweight and light heavyweight. Now, Cormier and Stipe are individually, you know, so much better than the rest of their divisions that that comparison doesn't really actually tell you the story of this fight. If you just talk about the fight as a function of their divisions, well, no. Lightweight is always going to be better than either any of those other divisions. So by definition, it will win. But it's about the individual matchups uh, included. I, I'm, I'm leaning Cormier, actually, a little bit. Um, you know, there's a big question here. Like, what can you really take from the Stefan Struve fight with Stipe Miocic? Because he's so different now, right? Let's assume you can take something from it. If you can, if that's a thing, 
then what is true is that um, pushing him back, getting in his face, can force him into bad reactions. It can force him into, um, you know, he's just not as effective fighting off the back foot as he is really working behind his jab. And I realize he got he got a chasing Verdun, but that was along the fence line where it's just totally inadvisable to try and strike like that, where you're just sort of literally chasing into somebody. I mean, anybody who's as talented as Steven Miocic is going to find that chin, and we know he's super heavy-handed, right? So not that that's not an impressive win. I'm just saying that's not the same thing as somebody – cage cutting and really getting in your face, really taking away that range, really driving an underhook and trying to take him down. Do I think that Cormier can take Stipe down? I don't know if he can keep him down, but I think he can get him down. And if he can avoid the big shot, and that's a big if. You know, he's fought some heavy hitters, but maybe Miocic is his own guy in that respect. We're going to find out. But I think if he got in his face, you know, Miocic can be landed on. Um, even guys who have he's beaten, or excuse me, that Miocic has beaten have landed on him. And to me, Cormier's got, you know, that he's not going to have to worry about weight cutting at all. Um, so if he stays light, rel relatively lightish for the weight class and he can really work inside of his jab, use his speed, uh, pressure against the cage, kind of like he did against Frank Mir, but a little bit different than that, like really go more for lower, lower body um, level changes. Uh, I, I think he can, he can win it. Uh, I, so I lean DC. But on the other hand, Stipe's jab is formidable. He's going to be the bigger, stronger guy. He can wrestle. Um, he is just a lot different than he was in the Stefan Struve fight. Again, when I'm not saying you can take a whole lot from that fight. I'm saying if we decide we'd like to, what can we take from it? Uh, and maybe the answer is you don't want to take anything from it because it happened so long ago. Struve's a different guy and Miocic is too. Okay, fine. I just try to look at moments where guys had some weaknesses and what you can learn from that. Um, so my thought is that I think DC is a live dog. As for what it would do for him, it'd make him it'd make him one of the best fighters ever, right? For all the reasons that you included. Simultaneous two-weight champ, second one ever. He would have beaten a guy who was, at this point, consensus best heavyweight fighter of all time. Certainly the most decorated UFC heavyweight of all time. Um, and yes, you would have lost to John Jones, but John Jones is also an all-time great, probably. Certainly in terms of talent, if, uh, if you wanted to parse it about losing the belt and what that might mean under the circumstances that he did. But to me, if Cormier wins that, all bets are off, man. It would it would cement his legacy in a way that, you know, is he going to get a John Jones fight again? I don't know. If he does, could he win it? You know, past his prologue, it's not so great for him. But if he can beat Miocic, a weight class up, man, you know, that's it's not the same thing as getting revenge on John Jones, but it's about the next best thing. It's hard to imagine something more redemptive or, you know, Something that would push him to the top more than that. World Cup 2018. Hi, Luke. First, as a Senegalese American, I'd like to apologize in advance for beating for the beating we're going to give Colombia. Colombia spelled with a U. Well, I too feel bad for South Carolina, but Colombia with two O's will be just fine. Uh, have you enjoyed the World Cup so far? I've loved it. And do you have any predictions moving forward? I'm not predicting anything on this tournament. A, I'm not an expert on soccer, even a little bit. And B, um, did anybody see Argentina, Brazil, and Germany not winning their openers? First time it's ever happened in the World Cup. So uh, someone says, he, he also says, also remember when Dana said MMA would be bigger than football by 2020. I love the World Cup. I love just about everything about the World Cup. Some of the matches today weren't so great, but Cristiano Ronaldo having four goals over two games uh, is just incredible. 
Um, one of the best off the ball players, strikers I've ever seen. Um, man, um, to see Mexico beat Germany, and I know you know the refereeing and with the use of the VAR is really imprecise in soccer, but at the same time, it's just been a joy to watch. To be perfectly honest, that was incredible to watch the the tears from Chicharito. Um, you know, my friend of mine moved to Switzerland, so he's all in on the Swiss, and they performed ably against the Brazilians. And I just love the community of nations. I love the style of play relative to the nations. I love how many Argentinian coaches there are. And I love, you know, how Peru threw the book at Denmark, but just couldn't break through. Um, I love every, I love how strong the European nations. I mean, there's so much to like about the World Cup. Europe has shown up in a big way, Germany notwithstanding. South America's got some work to do. Colombia had a disastrous start thanks to dumbass Carlos Sanchez at the beginning of that game yesterday. Or was it two days ago? I can't remember. No, yesterday. You know, but that got Japan its first win. Excuse me, that's, that was the first win in World Cup history by an Asian team over a South American team. You know, good for them, man. Good for them. Like, that's kind of awesome. Um, it's just it's just been amazing. The only thing I would say is, I, I you know, if you're European and you're watching this, this will mean nothing to you. So this is not for you. But if you're American and you're watching this, and a lot of you don't like soccer, and I'm sure there's a lot of you that don't, if I know Americans pretty well, uh, I, I, a lot of them are like, all right, I'll watch the World Cup. And I, and I always tell people, like, the World Cup has a certain magic to it and charm, and it's fun, and I love how long the tournament is, and there's games every day, right? It's, like, so great. But I feel bad for Mo Salah and, and Egypt. and All, all the storylines are cool. All the heroes are cool. All the vil villains are cool. All the battles of nations and peoples and cultures and customs and languages. It's amazing, right? It's the, it's such a thrilling, unique tournament. But it's not nearly as good as club football, club soccer. It's not nearly as good. Like if you watch the level of play at the Champions League, it's so much higher in part because you don't have this burden anymore where if you have a German team, they have to have a certain amount of German representation on the squad. So like these, these squads can gobble up, you know, whoever they want from around the world and they play together for 38 or at least in La Liga right 38 times a year there's much more cohesion there's much more ability to build attacks a lot of this is just you know sprints back and forth and everyone gets dispossessed or the goal uh the you know, attempts on goal are nowhere close like if you want to watch really good you know I realize the season's over but if you want to watch really good soccer watch Champions League like it's way better way better like noticeably way better Everyone here is getting dispossessed, and then, you know, you're seeing a lot of 1-0 scores off of set pieces. Uh, so my, my thought is I love the World Cup, but it's just for my fellow Americans out there, I appreciate you all watching. Trust me, I do. But give this one a look, please. I'm sorry, give, the, um, give, uh, give Champions League or, you know, pick your European League, whatever, a run. All right, PFL 2. Someone is asking about that. Thoughts on PFL's regular season and postseason format like this, like indifferent. I watched PFL one a few weeks ago, and I was pleasantly surprised. Some of the fun fights, excuse me, some of the fights were fun, and I think I can get into this format. And the PFL production crew is sneaky impressive. Are you going to watch PFL 2 on Thursday? I am. There is no MMA beat this Thursday. We return the week after. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Here's the card. It's a really good card, right? So you've got Luis Firmino versus Will Brooks. Man, if you don't know about Luis Firmino, look out. Very good fighter. That is, that is not an easy fight for Will Brooks. 
Efrain Escudero taking on Jason High. Jason High is back. Rashid Yusupov taking on uh, Rakim Cleveland. Brian Foster is back against Ramsey Najim. Kayla Harrison makes her pro debut against Brittany Elkin. Yes. And then um, Hani or Ronnie Marks versus Sean O'Connell. That's your main card down the line. I won't go through all of these, but you got Tiago Tavares on this card. Chris Wade is back. Daniel Spawn taking on uh, Bazagit Atajev. Uh, Vinny Magalash is on this card against Jamie Abdallah. Like, there's a lot of really good fights and really good fighters on it. So, um, you know what? I'm kind of seeing how they're going to build it out. I like the idea of getting points. It is a little bit, to speak of the World Cup, a little bit soccer-ish like that, where, you know, if you get a certain amount of points for a win or a finish or whatever, and then you add up those points, and then that helps you move on through the through the season. I, I kind of like that, actually. I think it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a little bit unique. Uh, we'll see if it works out the way it's supposed to. It's still only the second event. You got to see about injuries. You got to see about a lot of things, but... If they can get a little bit of luck, they might be able to, 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 to ride a bit of a wave here. Plus, I'm curious to see like how Kayla Harrison looks and what they're going to do with her. That's obviously a big uh, X factor as well. So we'll see how that goes. Good Lord. Madden 19 game has Rodgers player rating 99 over Brady's 97, claiming Rodgers to be the better QB. Is Rodgers better than Brady? Historically, no. Currently, yes. I don't know why people think that's controversial. Does he have the same resume as him? No. Like, skill for skill, is he a better quarterback now? 100%. UFC Boise. Yeah, man, I was looking at this card yesterday. What do you think of that card so far? Idaho lucked out. Excuse me for just a second. I got to blow my nose. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Junior Dos Santos versus Blagoy Ivanov. Blagoy Ivanov got stabbed and nearly died and is out here fighting Junior Dos Santos however many years later. Pretty incredible story he's had. James Vick versus Paul Felder. I mean, what do you not like about that? Everything about that is just awesome. Uh, Miles Jury taking on Chad Mendez. Amazing. Dennis Bermudez taking on Rick Glenn. A very good fight. Kat Zingano versus Marion Renault. Not only is that a good fight, it's a tough fight for Zingano, who's been on a bit of a skid. Marion Renault has got a stoppage win in 2018, and that provides some clarity for that women's bantamweight division. Darren Elkins, who, by the way, was absolutely, absolutely mistreated in the recent iteration of the UFC's rankings, versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky, one of Australia's best talents uh, in a real scrap against Darren Elkins. So both guys have a lot to work on there. Justin Scoggins is back against Saeed Nur Nurmagomedov. Liz Carmouche versus Jennifer Maya. Eddie Wineland versus Alejandro Perez. I mean, what do you not like about that? <laughs> Everything about that is tremendous. Tremendous. Um, wow. Barbas, you want to say hi to the folks? Ah, he's sleeping. Someone says shout-outs to El Loco Barbas. He's doing well. He's sleeping right now. Uh, let's see. Significant generational shifts and the evolution of MMA. Boy, that sounds like a big topic. Hi, Luke. Joe Rogan says there is a new level of fighter with Zabit Megamed Sharapov. He's right. I was just curious if you think you can identify the shifts in MMA as it's evolved and grown through the decades. 
starting with pre-UFC, can we point to a specific game-changing moment where the sport has never been the same and what are the delineating moments and generational shifts in MMA? Here's what this person says I came up with on the fly. Some might be spectacular moments, i.e. Pettis Ninja Cage kick. Number one, introduction of BJJ to MMA, Hoist Gracie. Yeah, it's a big moment. Number two, Tito Ortiz ground and pound. Yes, you have already skipped. If you've gone from Hoist to Tito, I don't take it away from Tito. That's big. Um, of course, ground and pound has evolved since then. It used to be you want to put them against the fence. You could stay in their guard. Now you don't want to stay in their guard if you can avoid it. You want to get to half, uh, and you want to kind of move them away from the fence. So there's been some developments in that particular um, phase. But you got to remember uh, Maurice Smith beating uh, Mark Coleman was when a kickboxer was able to show that you can learn enough takedown defense and enough defense on the ground where if you can get it back to the feet for long enough, you can just beat them there, right? You can't necessarily out-wrestle Mark Coleman, but you can nullify Mark Coleman and the rules just enough to get back to your feet and make them, win uh, make them pay. And so for sure, that's a big moment as well. Someone says Anderson Silva putting it all together, i.e. movement, offense, defense. I would also say Anderson Silva's clinch against Rich Franklin, really one of these like seminal moments where he didn't just win, but he won in a way that was not only brutal, but a lot of guys were not winning that way. I know uh, uh, Vanderlei was doing a lot of good work in pride, but some of that stuff had not made its way to the UFC, at least in that level. That was a big moment too. Um, effectiveness of kicks and new techniques, Edson Barboza, tap by leg kicks and Terry Adam wheel kick. I'd say leg kicking generally becoming democratized was a big one too. Legitimacy of women's MMA, Gina versus Cyborg, but that really was a big part of what Ronda was able to do and some other pioneers, of course. Um, Rosie Sexton, um, Tara La Rosa, um, you know, uh, Megumi, Megumi Fuji-E, um, you know, I could go on and on from there. Uh, leg locks and leg defense by Husamor Palhares and Belcher. A lot of other guys had a lot to do with that too, but fair enough. Habib's grappling, but that would be also I throw in Ben Askren. You're seeing a lot of guys take back and immediately look for look for wrist rides, either same side or cross. That's a big part of what he's been able to do. And then also Habib's slightly different because he just has so many different kinds of takedown. Mighty Mouse throw to flying armbar transition. That's also just a bit of like his incredible skill and flash. I don't know if there's something that like the big moments in MMA that had a big effect are the ones that could be democratized. So people learn jiu-jitsu. Like a, show, a guy showed jiu-jitsu, everybody learned it. A guy showed ground and pound, everybody learned it. Um, you know what was another one? Front kick to the face. The front kick to the face was a big one. Another one was, it wasn't one particular moment necessarily that St. Pierre had, but when St. Pierre showed just kind of like what a model of well-roundedness looked like, folks were like, oh, oh, okay, so that's what that, oh, all right, I had no idea. Um, it was one of those kinds of things. So, um, so that's a big one. Poharas was eventually figured out, but that was a big one. But a lot of those guys were just a little bit more, rather than like watershed moments that changed the game, a lot of those became departments that guys could specialize in but had limited upside. Um, so like the running off the wall thing, I would say that was a bit of a democratizing moment. Not that everyone uses it in every sport, but that they realized they could use the dimensions and the materials around them in ways that they had before, but the wrestlers were really the first to figure that out. Couture, if you look at one of his original books, as I messed with my microphone here, if you look at one of his original books, what you begin to realize is they would run guys purposely into the cage to get the bounce off of them. So I, so Couture would body lock a guy or you know underhook a guy, run him across the cage, 
run into the fence hoping to get that ricochet and then use that ricochet grip up lift and drop you know or whatever particular takedown that they wanted they were the first to begin to use like that like that and then you see other guys who just like you know Cain Velasquez underhooking against the fence that's been a big one really underhooking against the fence and he wasn't the first but he really patented the style use the head to get under the chin and just bang on him with the other hand um that's been a big one as well so like things like that are the ones that I look at is like who did something that opened your eyes a little bit like, wow, a lot of us could do that. Anderson Silva's front kick to the face on Vitor Belfort wouldn't seem like an obvious candidate. Again, I'm not saying it's the most widely used thing, but it was one of those other breakthrough moments where guys were like, oh, like once he did it, and I realized it had been done in, in various levels of kickboxing long before that, but in MMA, he does it and folks are like, oh, okay. And then you just start seeing it happen over and over and over and over and over again. Um, things like that, the use of karate in MMA, right? Guys like Leo Machida had a style, he made it work a little bit. Um, Wonderboy Thompson made it work a little bit. You're seeing guys play with stance switching. Stance switching has been a big one. How much of that comes from karate, I don't know, but but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. One or two people do something, and then their light bulb goes off in someone else's head. I mean, look at TJ Dillashaw. He's like, his striking is so unique, it's so modern, it's so effective, and it's so different. But it's because he's taken all these lessons from what all these other guys have been able to show and turn it into something all of his own. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I got sick in the middle of the night last night. Who would you like to see Jorge Masvidal fight next? I heard your interview on his show, on your show. Seems like he's itching to get back in there. Would you pick him to beat any of these hot up-and-comers like uh, Usman and Till, uh, I think he could on a, yeah, I, 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 you know, Masvidal has gotten really close and never crossed the line, that very, very, very top guy, but I have a lot of respect for his game. He can do it all, and he's been able to do it all for a while. There's been a couple of fights where I thought he won and he got a bad end of a decision. Uh, I really respect Jorge Masvidal. I think he can beat guys like Usman and Till. Now, you know, we'll have to see if they make those fights for them and, and what happens next, but I think the fight that I want to see was the one I mentioned on to him yesterday, which was the Ponzinibbio one, which he wasn't against. But again, it would have to be like the right circumstance. And I don't know exactly what the right circumstance is in his mind. So, so we'll have to see. All right. Transparency in the ranking system. I think one of the things that kills my interest as a longtime fan of the sport is how meaningless some fights appear to be. That's in terms of title shots and finding the best fighter of each division. A lot of pundits complain about the UFC making fights that lack a narrative or that don't necessarily fit into the overall career arc of a given fighter, but a frustrating aspect for hardcore fans is that rankings and matchups are sometimes very arbitrary. Sometimes a win over a top 10 opponent sets you up for a title shot. Sometimes it does nothing at all. Sometimes you need six consecutive wins to get a title shot. Other times you need a viral Twitter beef to get ahead. In other sports, you know exactly how much a win is worth. You know that if the Lakers beat the Bulls, they get three points, and you can speculate about whether they had a chance to win the series or whatever. I don't follow other sports, but you get the idea. This predictability creates narratives of its own, whereas in the UFC, a third-ranked fighter beating an eighth-ranked fighter can mean dot, 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 whatever the UFC wants it to mean. Would more transparency in the ranking system lead to viewers excuse me, lead to more viewers and more pay-per-view buys, or is the UFC's current approach more profitable in the long-term account of its flexibility? Well, I definitely feel like flexibility on balance is better than rigidity, but this is part of what PFL's tried to do. All right, you got to win, great. Uh, you got to finish, even better. Here are your points and your points, boom. On to the next one. 
And so there is a little bit of clarity about defining your own future in that regard. Now, some of that is not all that fair because maybe your opponent was easier, maybe you had an easier run to the finals or, or, or something like that, but there's never total equality of opportunity. So that's a bit of a myth, but that, that's essentially what they're trying to solve. They're trying to figure that out. Um, I tend to think that's a fine approach. I still prefer a little bit of flexibility, but even in sports, you kind of have uh, stick and ball sports. You have this, like, for example, I had, uh, I wouldn't say debates, but I had back and forths with Amin Al-Hassan from ESPN talking about MVP, because you'll remember a lot of folks voted for James Harden. And uh, I was like, you sure LeBron doesn't get it? And the argument against LeBron was, well, he kind of takes the middle of seasons off. The team tanks. He's in an easier conference. And then he turns it on later. And then he gets the team to the playoffs. And then once he's in the playoffs, he just balls out of control, which you saw. That's been the knock on him. And, you know, uh, essentially that Harden may, may have been on a better team, but never let his foot off the gas. Okay. But the question is, why did you make that call? The answer is the NBA doesn't really tell those who vote for MVP how to vote for it. They leave it open-ended. Like, what is it that you think was the reason? I mean, there are certain eligibility requirements, I believe, but um, they're pretty minimal. And you're just allowed to basically invent your own criteria or um, say what you want. The The selection, actually, the 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 quality control comes in who you give the vote to. That's how it works. And so from there, um, you can just pick whoever you want. That's what we have here. Guys are like able to say, well, you know, I think this guy deserves to be three over that person being eight or conversely. There's a little bit of flexibility. I think what you would, what you're saying is, and what I'd like to see is if someone turns in a ballot, giving a brief explanation for like how that ballot was arranged. But I don't know if that's even logistically possible, you know, because you've got all these divisions and you got to turn them in and you got to figure out who goes where and, you know, how would you even sort those kinds of things? Um, I, I think what I would just like to see is some kind of explanation about what rankings are. It's when I mean, you've got a guy like Jose Aldo who's been finished twice by the same guy and he's still, where is he sitting at the top of the rankings? Let's see. Be like at three or four or something. By the way, Aldo's at two. I mean, that just seems like insane to me. It's like, oh, we beat Frankie Edgar. Yeah, you know, the UFC 200. Like, a lot's happened since then. And I realize Frankie Edgar has lost. We could quibble about his place, but uh, I, I think there's this sort of tenure that guys have. Like, look at the fighter rankings for featherweight. All right, you've got Darren Elkins at 10. Let me pull up. Uh, I saw Darren Elkins bitter about this, and I was like, you know what? He's completely right. He's totally right. So here we are. Here's the top 10 at featherweight. Ready? One, Holloway's the champ. One is Ortega. Two, Aldo. Three, Edgar. Four, Stevens. Five, Swanson. Six, Emmett. Seven, Mirsad Bektich. Eight, Jung. Nine, Moicano. Ten, Elkins. So here's Elkins. Elkins is like, I'm on a six-fight win streak. Uh, Mirsad Bektich, who's ranked seventh, he knocked him out. Dennis Bermudez and Johnson. Um... Also, because, because I also beat Dennis Bermudez and Michael Johnson, how am I still ranked number 10? And then you could say, well, Luke, you know, you, you're just talking about Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo, and shouldn't these things not, like, hold on to space forever in terms of the tenure? But he beat Mirsad Bektich in March of 2017, barely a year ago, and it got performance of the night bonus from there. And since then, he beat Dennis Bermudez and Michael Johnson, of course, as he just mentioned. So it's like, 
Uh, and Bektic, meanwhile, since that loss, let's see. He got a win over Godofredo Pepe, and I guess he got the big jump from Ricardo Lamas. Uh, nevertheless, I, I just feel like Elkin should be a little higher than 10, right? Uh, maybe maybe you could make the argument that because Bektic got more favorable matchmaking in terms of what that win over Lamas would do for him, that's fine. But he jumped four spots. Elkin should be higher than 10, too. So there's you get you run into situations like that constantly. Constantly. So transparency, I'm, I don't know. I mean, they leave it open-ended on purpose. That's kind of the point. The, the question is, like, what... Like if, once you understand what the framing is, what's what's the point of a ranking system? What's the point of a division? Um, and what's the point of the of, of the hierarchy? Who should be above what? Once you establish that, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. This is hilarious. Danny Segura. Hi, Luke. Lots of reports that Danny Segura was last seen throwing out all of his... Pride DVDs and destroying anything Japanese related. Do you know if he has calmed down after the last World Cup game? I hope he's all right. Yes, I have spoken with him. He's okay. That's hilarious, though. Someone says, I used to be a UFC fighter, but then I took a sidekick to the knee. How do you view the discussion about sidekicks to the knee or thighs? Um, Stephen Thompson and Rampage have argued that they're too dangerous and they cause long-term damage, which is bad for the sport. So do concussions. Faraz Hobby argued on Joe Rogan's podcast that sidekicks to the knee are a natural counter to a sideways stance, it is a trade-off of where being harder to punch naturally makes your legs easier to kick. Other people argue that it makes the rules too convoluted and adds too many restrictions or that it's not as dangerous as flying knees or spinning heel kicks to the face, for example. Now, what did Faraz argue? He argued that side kicks to the knee are a natural way to counter a sideways stance and as a trade-off where being harder to punch naturally makes you like, okay, I see. So, yes, you can't reach my face. But my knee is there, so I'm making a I'm making a calculated call. Uh, I have no problems with them. I don't. Uh, I, I, this is the point I've made before. That's a really smart point by Faraz, right? So certainly I would listen to him before listening to me. But I would add on that if I could, since I was asked uh, here in this chat. I would add that. Um, so like, what would what? Okay, you want to outlaw it? All right, why? Well, it does long term damage. Okay, well, lots of things do long-term damage. So what is it about it that you want to, to what if you want to have it a special rule for a special strike, there has to be a rule about it. Like there has to be some kind of observation about it that separates it from the rest, causes long-term damage. Lots of things cause long-term damage. Okay, so that's, that's not by itself unique. Um, I've seen people say, well, it's not the same as like a pain submission or like a, uh, you know, like a choke that can put you out. Um, you know, cause it, that, that would attack your will to go on, right? If I can, if I can choke you out, your will to go on has been removed because you no longer have that will. It's been temporarily frozen. Uh, or if I knock you out, right, you can't literally respond. And plus there could be extra damage that goes in at that point. That could be deadly quite literally. Um, but I don't really see how those are different because in either case, what you're talking about is when you hit someone's knee like that. The reason why you would do it is to affect their ability to um, compete. You wouldn't necessarily be testing their pain threshold. You wouldn't necessarily be taking away their consciousness. But to, in taking away someone's consciousness or affecting it or rocking them, let's say, just to the temple, you're affecting their the, the body's various skeletal, endocrine, circulatory, whatever systems. Your... That, that cognitive impairment is just part of these larger biological systems in your body 
that need to operate at some kind of capacity in order to effectively compete. You're just affecting it at the knee. I recognize that it can cause long-term damage, but number one, lots of things do that. And number two, it's not like they happen so frequently where you're like, oh my God, another guy got his knee shredded by this. They're fairly infrequent. Um, they're fairly infrequent. Robert Whitaker did it, but then used it against uh, um, Yoel Romero in his last fight. I didn't see Yoel complaining. Uh, I mean, you know, John Jones has used them on a lot of guys. Rampage complained, but um, and, I'm, and it's not like I'm not saying that they didn't have real problems with their knees, but to me, it's like you're making biological and health trade-offs about your occupation. I don't. I, it's just not clear to me like why this one needs an exemption. Uh, now, if someone could explain to me in perhaps a different way, I'd listen to them. If there was a lot of this happening, I think that would change the debate. You know, if you just shredded a guy guy's knee once and then they could never come back, you might have a quite you might have a, a, an issue there. Um, but I would say you get more knee injuries from just pure wrestling than anything else, just the wear and tear over time. And these knee kicks are, are, are fairly rare. Fairly rare. All right, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine. I'm even scared to look at my mentions. Uh, all right. So let... Oh, Jesus. Well, they exploded. Uh, let's see. There we are. Here's that. Okay. You can shoot me a tweet at L Thomas news or uh, hashtag chat wrappers. And I will take a look at it here. As I mentioned before, if you're just joining me and you missed, I will be, it'll be a, it'll be a different MMA hour, but I'll be the host of the new MMA hour uh, Mondays, June 25th, 12 to two, 12 to two will be the new one. There'll be guest interviews. The Monday morning analyst will actually be a segment inside of that. We'll probably take calls. We'll do lots of stuff. So, It'll be a good time. Uh, okay. Here we go. First question. What are the chances of Canelo getting TKO'd by Triple G in their rematch? Well, um, hard to say that it would be impossible, but both guys have pretty good chins. You know, it was amazing. You go back and watch that first fight. It's like some of the punches that Canelo landed on Triple G would have like absolutely murdered anybody else and triple g's guy's head rocked and then came right back to it like a shocking level of ability you know just to take punishment everyone talks about triple g's like marching forward and his power all of which are great he doesn't get any he doesn't get any credit for uh how good his chin is i'm about to add some deadlifts to my lifting program advice for getting started talk to an expert and start light really focus on technique, really focus on the finer points of detail. Do not get in there and try and lift your brains out. Find someone local at your gym, a real qualified person to walk you through it and practice, 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 and then build weight over time. It will come. But do not be a donkey and then go in there and just start lifting uh, heavy-ass weight just to lift heavy-ass weight. It's not what it's about. Let's see. I know you don't follow baseball closely, but did you hear the news about perennial dumbass and DC sweetheart Hunter Strickland? Hunter Strickland was a guy, Bryce Harper, I think, hit like a couple of home runs off of him, or at least one. And then like a year or two later, Hunter Strickland, still bitter about it, hit him with a pitch. And then I think the other day, someone also went yard off of him. And so Hunter Strickland punched a wall, and now he broke his hand, and he's out for like six to, six to eight weeks. So... uh Good job. Uh, good job on uh, by Hunter Strickland.
What are you most excited for for the MMA hour? Um, what am I most excited for? I don't know. I don't know. The opportunity? <laughs> they don't come very much, you know? Most nervous about? Uh, for sure, you know, look, Ariel's got incredibly loyal audience. And uh, I'm going to have to, um, the, many of them are, are uh, you know, look, you take over for an institution and there's going to be pushback. It's, it is inevitable. I'm, I'm partly expecting that. So, um, you know, but I'm not like overly worried about it. But at the same time, I, you know, you want to do a good job. You want to make everybody happy, but that's not possible. So um, do you think your role changes at all with this more prestigious platform? I don't know what you mean by my role, but certainly, um, you know, it's a greater degree of visibility for sure. Uh, will the MMA Hour still be available for the same podcast channel for download? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but my hunch is yes, I believe so. I believe that those were owned by Vox Media. So if you're already subscribing, um, you could probably get some of that. Do you think a rebrand would help you avoid backlash? Um, well, there will be a rebound. The music will be a little bit different. The set will be a little bit different. The show will be a little bit different. Keeping the same name was a bit of a debate, but... Um, I don't think in the end, one way or the other, that will make or break what I'm trying to do. But I guess we're going to find out. So uh, does Megan Anderson have a possible future in the MMA UFC media? I enjoy her breakdowns with Laura Sanko. That's another podcast. What's it called? Um, Aussie and Fancy, something like that. Uh, and she seems both knowledgeable and professional. If she can't bounce back from the home loss, can she find a role with UFC and is she not known enough? Well... I think she still has a pretty long fight career in front of her. But to your point, yes, a lot of these people are pretty good, are pretty good uh, on the microphone. And, and, and by the way, Laura Sanko killing the game out there. She's been getting reps on Fox Sports 1. She's back on Contender Series. Like, she's been a revelation. So good for her. And, and I met her at, I met her, you know, I met her at the Contender Series show that day where it was the uh, John Jones Torino Ball news had happened. And we had that presser with him and then um, um, Dana White and, um, a, a couple other figures. Um, lo long story short. Um, oh God. Uh, let's see. All right. Where was I? I lost my train of thought. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Oh, Laura Senko. Yeah, I met her at that one. And she was incredibly friendly. She's incredibly competent, smart, you know, knows how to ask good questions about fighting. Really good stuff. Do you consider Will Brooks a dark horse in the PFL tournament? His skill set really didn't uh, get to shine how it should have in the UFC. Yeah, I guess if you want to consider him that way because... You would have thought he was a. You would have thought he was a favorite, but then he had that rough run in the UFC. So if you want to call him a, if you want to call him a, um, dark horse, I'd be okay with that. Sure, right? Because I still think very highly of his abilities. Uh oh, yeah, here's funny. I love the promotional mar practice live chat. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing it all this time. Question, was your reaction to Barry Trot stepping down the same as Kelly Cohen's? Best of luck with the MMA hour. Stay frosty. Yeah, Kelly Cohen, um, a writer for Politico, 
you can see here in the back there was like uh patrick uh senator Leahy was speaking of, i don't know or what he was speaking and you could see here in the back like lose her mind it wasn't quite like that but i was definitely a little on the surprise side Uh, Luke, why not have the MMA hour on Wednesday instead of now competing with Ariel's show? Well, I don't think it will be totally. Number one, I'll be two hours. I don't think he's going to go for a bunch. Number two, we're starting at noon. Uh, number three, it'll be a very different kind of, it'll be some similar, but it'll be a little bit different as well. And, uh, by the time Wednesday rolls around, you've missed all of the Monday headlines that were kind of important. So someone says, wouldn't you want someone like Hardy? I think you mean Greg Hardy to take up MMA. It's a great mental stabilizer and walking into a gym is truly humbling. I don't think of this as a fourth chance, but a different avenue. And I hope it helps him mature and find peace. The answer there is uh, probably right. Um, Todd Martin over at SureDog made a bunch of arguments about, about this. And um, anyway, long story short, um, he argues that basically this is probably in the best interest of some of like rehabilitation. But also, uh, beyond that, uh, I can understand why people have some apprehension. I mentioned this before. If you look at somebody like, um, if you look at somebody like um, uh, Michael Vick, whatever you think about Michael Vick's crimes, and I, I consider them to be rather heinous. On the other side of the equation, there's a, he at least went through some kind of mea culpa tour, right? He tried to speak in favor of animal rights when he got out. He did go to jail. He did serve his time. Um, he had to work his way back into the NFL and his career. I mean, he definitely got back in there and and it had some recovery, but it never was like he never got back what was lost. Um, you know, there there was a price that was paid and maybe that's not enough for some people. And I understand it will never be enough for some people. I'm not asking it to be. Everyone's got their own judgments to make about what he did and and both in terms of the crime and and then the the punishment. But he at least went through something. Now, Greg Hardy lost his opportunity in the NFL. Maybe you consider that the punishment, but it, it never felt like he went through some kind of mea culpa tour. That's that's a bit different. Like, Michael Vick got out there and accepted responsibility. Uh, that'll be a little bit different. That'll be a little bit different. Someone says, uh, as a digital marketer, I appreciated your spot-on definition of above the fold. Got to learn them, folks. Got to learn them. Considering the number of pay-per-view buys for UFC 225, what does the UFC need to do? Is it a lack of stars, or is it all the negative MMA news that seems to be coming up? Stars will fix a lot. I'm telling you, if you had John Jones out there competing, Cain Velasquez out there competing, Brock Lesnar out there competing, Ronda Rousey out there competing, Conor McGregor out there competing, Nate Diaz out there competing, I think a lot of these criticisms would absolutely evaporate. I 100% believe that. Uh, let's see. So this is the pay-per-view model. People forget that a weak card like 225 made uh, about 250K times 65, roughly about 16 million. I mean, some of that has, a lot of that has to go to other partners, but yeah, you can still make uh, a lot. You can still make a lot doing that. So this might be the last live chat, some important questions. Number one, Gorilla versus Bear. We've been over this. Turns out the Bear would win. The Nick Diaz rumor. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Uh, does Barbas make it on the MMA hour? Probably not. I'd have to take him to New York. Uh, please pronounce Cynthia Calvijo. Just did. And uh, finally, the Nick Diaz rumor. Uh, are you going to be hosting the show on Mondays in New York? Yes. If so, how are you going to handle that commute twice a week? I'll just figure out a way. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
How does your new role with MMA fighting affect your job with Sirius? It doesn't. Keeps it all the same. All in-house. All right, with that out of the way, Barbas, come here. Come here. Come here, buddy. Let me do this. We have just a few minutes left. Um, I just want to say, uh, I don't know if they're going to keep the live chat going. I don't know what's about to happen. So I appreciate everybody who's watched all this time. I have had innumerable errors with getting analysis wrong or uh, various technical difficulties. Like it became part of the show. So if they keep it going, whoever takes it will have my full support 100%. If they don't, I understand that too. We'll bring in some of these aspects into the uh, the show going forward. So you won't lose this ability to go back and forth completely. Um, but I just want to say, if you are somebody who ever downloaded the show, ever sent a podcast or ever sent a note about the podcast, ever left a funny joke, ever supported it, there's been a lot of people along the journey, which my journey has been, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 12 years, man. 12 years I've been out here grinding. Um, you don't get a lot of opportunities like this. And I know some people are going to be mad and some people are going to be happy and um, a lot be a lot of people in between. But I just want you to know uh, it meant everything to me to have this podcast. Um, I never expected to have anything else. I, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You always hope, but you never know. And, um, and uh, I, I can't tell you, I don't know. I don't know what the words are to say thank you enough to convey how it actually feels because simply saying thank you would be so, so terribly insufficient. Uh, it's not the same. Um, it has been a joy every time I have loved the opportunity. I couldn't believe that week after week people would come back and, and still participate, but they did. There's been a lot of you out there who were just real hardcore supporters of this podcast. And I hope you'll join me going forward. I know there's some challenges ahead and we got to figure all that out, but uh, I promise you, I will give it everything I've got. I've got 12 years in this business and 10 of them on radio. I feel like I've got a pretty decent handle on, um, I hope anyway, on, on what to do and, and how to do it. So if you've been along for this ride, for a low this, I don't even know how many of these I've done. I stopped numbering them. I think I've done like three or 400 of these. So if you've been a part of those, and some of you have been there from the longest time, I get an email from people being like, oh, I've been watching since you were back in the pool house, you know, which I've done four or five iterations of these ago. When I used to do them on Strictly Google Hangouts. Thank you. 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 Thank you completely. Thank you. I know this podcast was never like, you never watched it because it was so smooth technologically or... Uh, you know, I had on the the most important guests that never was what it was. It was just, it was just a, it was just a volley back and forth between me and you. And um, I can't say thank you enough. So, from my main man here, from my main squeeze, Barbus. I don't know if this is the last time for this chat, but it certainly is the last time in this format in this chat for me. Thank you guys so much for watching. I will put this on iTunes. I will put this on SoundCloud. I appreciate you tuning in. There's no MMA beat tomorrow, but we're back on Monday. And so until then, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for watching all these many years. Um, stay frosty.